Welcome back to Heart to Heart, episode number 117. In this episode, Mark and I speak with Kyle Luker, a dynamic manager known for his unparalleled knack for identifying talent and nurturing their careers. With a journey that spans small boutique agencies to bi-coastal industry leaders, his inspiring path showcases his resilience and ability to innovate. Keep listening to hear a manager's perspective on the industry and to learn why it is always important to have someone who is advocating for your career. Before you listen, you've got to grab our Backstage Pass because it is packed with Kyle's top tips, insider advice, and additional resources that will give you a competitive edge. You can grab the Backstage Pass by going to podcastbackstagepass.com. There are not too many people you meet who are not afraid to be themselves. From day one, when I saw you, it was like an instant admiration just because you're, you're always you. I mean, I hope so. I don't know who else I would be. You know what I'm saying, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. So especially, and I'm not even talking about our industry, I'm just saying like, you know, in, in life, you know, it's always attractive when you really meet someone who's comfortable in their skin. And I also like how you you find humor in everything. I try to. In our business, you know, there's way too much uh, suffering and rejection. We have to find the laugh somewhere. I, I also consider you very uh, highly resourceful. As a child, can you think of any stories? I, you have to have some where you, you, you're a very resourceful person. Oh, I... Uh, all the time. I was that kid that like, you know, I remember there, when I was in like fifth grade, there was a school dance and I decided I wanted the theme to be the future. And I made my mom, like I, we covered everything in foil. I like hung things from the ceiling fans to like make it look like it was future stuff. I'm always like looking to figure something out. Did you pursue acting? I did. I mean, in high school, I did acting. And then in college, I, I was an actor and I quickly realized it was not for me. Like just... Just like the, the amount of nerve to like walk out into a stage and do an audition was just like, just painful. I don't think I was very good at it either. In fact, I got an audition for myself for today for the other two. And I was like, there's no way I'm doing this. I love you guys for thinking of me, but I just, I panicked. And I just, I learned in college that I had a better, I don't know, I was a better advocate for my friends than they were for themselves. That just felt like a better place for me. The other way of telling that story would be, you know, your resourcefulness totally outweighed any other possibility. So it really shined through because you're very, Kyle, you're, you're always thinking out of the box. Like, I want to hear everything, but like Gil Holland, how did you even find, how did you even find him? So I found Gil because uh, I was doing a contract for a client for Broadway who didn't have an agent. And there was another person in the show that didn't have an agent. I knew the manager sort of, we'd met a few times. So I got to know them through that. And then my first boss decided that she was going to leave the earth early. Oh my gosh. She and, didn't do, I, I forgot about her, but now I remember. Go ahead. Who she was. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Her name was Terry Watley and she was uh, quite a treat. <laughs> but so she basically like had, you know, she was in a coma. So she had to shut down her business or I did. And I met with uh, Gil and, and his partner and they took me in and I brought over as many clients as I could. And I tried to send clients I couldn't take. I tried to send them to other managers I was friends with. And then, you know, Gil and I have, are still friends to this day. I mean, you know, he's just a great guy and an, an incredible filmmaker. You know, we still text all the time. I flew down to help support him in his uh, gubernatorial candidacy. Well, he's a highly resourceful guy, too. So the two of you together, I can only imagine. Yeah, I love that. There's one story where Jen Mack, who's now at NBC, was doing a movie in North Carolina, and 
she was talking to this director, Erica Dunton. Erica's like, I'm looking for a girl just like this. And Jen's like, call Kylie as the perfect girl. We set it all up. The movie's going to happen. It's going to be great. Then the director calls me crying and says, we don't have the money anymore. And I was like, well, how much money are we talking about? And she told me, and I was like, can you just hold for a second? And I walked into Gil's office and I said, I need this amount of money. And he handed me a credit card and he's like, go, go make your movie. Whoa. And we did. And we took it to Slam Dance and we actually sold it. And it was like, it was great. Unbelievable. Gil never had a management office before you, right? No, no. And then, and then he separated from his partner at the time. And then we started our own place, him and I and, and Matt Parker and Carly Hugo. But wait, so when you said he had a partner, and I know, and this is good for our audience to know, Gil Holland at one time was, you know, when it came to independent feature films, he was the guy in New York City who like, you know, would get the money. And if you were a filmmaker, you went to Gil to get your film made. And he figured out a way to get the yep. money. If he thought the script was good, he found a way to make it happen. You know, but the one thing that was really amazing about Gil is that he would try to read absolutely everything that people sent him. And I'm like, there's just no way. I mean, I can't, like, I get probably 50 to 60 emails a day of actors, like, pitching to me. I can't get through my regular emails and then read those as well. And Gil would be like, oh, I got an email from an actor. Can you take a look? I'm like, no, that's not how this works, <laughs> Gil. We can't read everything. But he really is, he's a true advocate for filmmakers. He really, he really is. So, so Carl, he was making movies. You met him under the story that you... Then did, did, did he say to you, let's, let's, I'm going to start a management arm? Is that how it happened? No, he had already partnered with someone else. And then they brought me in. And then I didn't know anything about making independent film. So I learned a lot working there. One of the films I, I ended up casting, which was, a, was one of the most frightening things I've ever done. Because when people are calling you to get their clients in, I'm a yes person. I want to I want to say yes to people. I want to make things happen. But you can't do that when you're a caster. You have you have to say no to some people. You might say that person's not right. And I really didn't like that part of the process. And the thing I hated even more was being in the room when the actors were auditioning. I, that made me so uncomfortable because I, I don't know what look to put on my face. I don't know if I should look pleased or do, I don't know what to do. I quickly learned like that was not a road I wanted to go down ever, but I did learn a great deal. Yeah. So I remember you at the group. You, you, are you were you pretty much the founding manager of the group or no? Yeah, it was it was just me, and then Matt and Carly and Gil were running the film production side, and then eventually Jill McGrath joined us. Matt and Carly ended up getting a deal at HBO, so they kind of went on their own, and then Gil had moved to uh, down to Louisville. I kind of kept going with Jill for a while, and then we just realized we weren't, you know, compatible, really. And I wanted to go to a bigger place, just because I'd only worked at smaller boutique management companies for years. And I wanted to go work at a bi-coastal place where I had the support of an L.A. office. And also, you know, when you're at a bigger place, you're, you have access to so much more information. Like, I just got an offer for a client for a movie that no one knows about because it's brand new. So now I'm going to send it to my company and everyone in my company will know about this movie. But if you're just looking at breakdowns, you're not going to know about this movie. Do you know what I mean? So like, and that we do that with everyone. Everyone shares every offer, everything that comes in, any scripts. So it's just really helpful. You know, at other companies, I would spend, you know, a portion of my day trying to track down a script. Now it's pretty much in my inbox if I, if I need a script. So when you said a portion of your day was tra tracking down the script, what did you do to track down a script when the opposite is happening? 
Yeah. So of course you, you start with casting and they tell you there's no script available. <laughs> and then you start emailing all of your assistant friends at the bigger agencies saying, do you guys have the script? Especially if you know, like say, you know, there's an offer to Giselle Bunchen. Like you can Google who Giselle agent is and email and say, hey, can you sign me the script? And that was a bad example. I just thought about her on the way here. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah. And this also too is like a lot of our clients write and also direct. And so to have access to an entire lit department where I can just be like, look, this client has a great pitch. Can you guys sit down with them and see where it can go if you think it can sell? So that's, it's, it, that's invaluable to me. So, so Kyle, when you were talking about Matt and Carly, you, you just said, so they were managers and you just said, then they got this thing with HBO. How does that work at HBO? No, they were producers. They were producers. And Matt had made Beast of the Southern Wild. Carly had just made Higher Ground and something else. She's going to kill me if she listens to this. But they were like the hot young producers in New York. And they ended up getting a deal at HBO and making some really cool stuff. One really cool documentary called Suited about a company that makes suits just for trans people. It went to Sundance. And, you know, so they've just been killing it. And so What's been great is that we, no longer do we work together, but we still talk all the time. And if I ever need anything from them, they're always happy to help me. And when they see an actor they think is amazing, they send them my way. So it's just, we don't work together anymore, but we are still great friends. Incredible. So you, because you wanted that bi-coastal support and of a larger company, that's how you ended up at industry? Yeah, I um, I knew I wanted to go somewhere that was bi-coastal, but I wasn't really sure where. And I didn't know enough about the different companies to sort of make a decision. Luckily, a lot of my friends rallied together and said, where do you want to go? And made calls for me. And I ended up having several options on the table. And I was about to make the decision when Bill Butler called me. He had found out from someone else that I was looking. And he was like, why don't you come work in industry? And I was like, I'm kind of already negotiating with someone else. And he goes, give me five minutes. And I said, I, okay, I, I'm out of respect. I mean, I worked with Bill, with Bill when he was at Gersh for so long. So out of respect, I was like, I'll give him five minutes. Live or on the phone? I went to I went to his apartment. I was literally getting a haircut and I got up and like went to his apartment. <laughs> he just, with, within five minutes, he convinced me that this was the place for me to be. He was like, you're going to have full support here. He's like, you've known me forever. So you're not just jumping into something you don't know. And Michelle Cottrell was here. and I had known Michelle socially for years. So it just felt like a really safe place. And one of the things I said when I came, when I said this to the LA partners as well, is like I said, I want to grow the New York office as much as possible. And Bill does too. We brought Sally Ware in. Sally had been an agent at Gersh for years. And then uh, Jen Lieber came in. Jen Lieber had been an agent at UCA forever. And we just moved into this huge office it's all white because the decorator hasn't even started yet but it's going to be amazing when it's done and it's just it's just great to work at a place where there's everyone supports each other and like both coasts support each other like we know we're the cooler coast but still <laughs> where, where, where's, where's your location in the in the city we are on 25th and broadway oh very like, nice right you're on the very, park yeah you're yeah. very close you're very yeah. close to us yeah i know yeah you guys are not far at all um, uh, unbelievable, Kyle. Because, you know, I, I think uh, coming in today too, like the the stories you can or, or the inspiration you can impart to actors who are just saying, sitting at home waiting for something to happen. And as you know, that doesn't happen like that. You're the opposite. You've made everything for you happen. I mean, I think I've been very, very lucky as well. I mean, and I, you know, I've made so many friends in this business that are always willing to help me. Look at that though. You made friends in the business and, and the way you make friends organically leads to work. 
Yeah. I mean, so many times. And, you know, it's, I do think outside the box. So I love to figure out like who can help me and how can we get there that may not be the straightforward path. But yeah, I've been lucky that so many people have supported me, including you, Mark. Well, Kyle, I, I still remember even the way you handled, or it was actually two years in a row. Hey, we're going to do a Christmas party together, the group entertainment and one-on-one. And just sitting down with you and coming, you're like, okay, I was like, all right, I'm going to get the liquor sponsor. You're like, I'll get this person. And you're like, we'll have a PR person. I mean, it, it, it became so much bigger than- The one we had at the cutting room was pretty massive. Yeah, the cutting room. And the cutting room yeah. at that time was in its heyday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was Chris Note's place. Yeah. And, and you know, we were doing a movie, so we got the actors that were the leads of the movie to come as a little part of like, their rap party. And we did have liquor sponsors. And I think- you know, I think it was a unique thing that we tried to do, which was like bring in the casting community and bring in the actors and let them mingle. And that worked for a lot of people. Some people didn't love that, but that happens because some actors are like really aggressive. And so, you know, sometimes <laughs> it's like, this is a party, relax. Yeah. <laughs> like you're still getting some FaceTime. But yeah, I used to love those parties. Yeah, I was so proud of that party or those parties. And and we got some feedback. Of, Why didn't you make people wear name tags and what they do for a living? I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so Yeah, the casting directors would never agree. Are you that. kidding? And the filmmakers too. We had some we had some impressive right. filmmakers. Oh, in yeah, we did. So I could tell a lot by the way you like, you know, you worked your magic where, you know, when you believe in something, it becomes a game. And you're like, okay, you're going to get this person. I'll get this. Next thing you know, we're at the cutting room with this. I think we had like, Three to four hundred people show up. It was we a lot. did. We did. I have to say, it was. I, I had a great time at that party. Yeah, me too. Hey, it's Brian. I'm dropping in on an important announcement. What you need to know is you have more control over your career than you think. The thing standing between you and the career you want is your connections, and that's where one-on-one next level comes in. If you are not a member yet, you can apply to join at oneononenextlevel.com. Press pause and do that now. If you are already a member and you are ready to get back on track, we want to invite you to book a strategy session with us led by myself personally. We will help you prioritize which classes make the most sense given your career goals. You can find these under the resource hub in your account portal. We can't wait to hear your success story. Wherever you go, you just kind of like, it seems like you're not working. It seems like your social talents kind of like, like a Pied Piper bringing you a lot of people who just can you then figure out a way to connect them and yeah, I love to connect people. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a huge part of the job is, you know, it's not just getting auditions. It's about talking about people to your clients and talking about your friends, about the clients that are up and coming and talking to the clients about their passions and what they want to be doing. And do they want to try to write something? Do they want to direct something? Do they want to go do experimental theater under a bridge for a week? You know, whatever it is, you know, we try to figure it out. You know, I've had clients come to me with ideas and I always say there are no bad ideas, but there are ideas that don't work out. We always give it a go at first. I can't tell you how many like scripts we used to read that we would be like, should we make this? And I eventually we're like, no, that's no, but it gets so close. And that's the same thing for actors. Like they have to remember that like every step you make is a step closer. Every no is closer to a yes. So Kyle, on the way on the way over here, I was listening to this podcast of this guy who um, was one of the founders of like hip hop music, and he was just a he was a guy who would go to Negril on Fourteenth um, Street, 
and just listen to hip hop on Sunday nights or whatever when they when it first was introduced and he he didn't know anything about music he just loved it so then he became this big producer i think his last name is like ruben anyway the, the main thing what he what he said was which is so true with acting too he said you know back then it was like these guys actually you know created you know hip hop they they started it and they were rapping people at first thought it was a little odd but it, but the, there was an audience they went on to become you know huge reaching levels of huge celebrity, let's just say, but they were the ones who created. And he said, you know, so of course, right away after that, there were a, a, a lot of musicians who started to, you know, want to copy it or make, you know, like kind of like take what they did, put their mark on. It. And he said, you know, when someone does that, they, they achieve a certain amount of success, maybe, but it's never the kind of success that the person going into it who is just wanting to create and do actually succeeds with. Yeah, I think that's what's interesting about, you know, actors who are type A, they want to have a very specific plan. And I always say, if you want to make God laugh, make a plan. I always say, like, be prepared. You may have to make left turns, right turns. Like, it's good to have goals, but sometimes a plan, it, you know, we have to, it has to be malleable. Otherwise, we're never going to get there. Like a jazz musician. Yeah, kind of like that. And it's also like, one of the other things that in my career, I've noticed that sometimes actors who are friends with more famous actors will get caught in their own head about where they're going versus where their friend is going and how long they've been. Everyone's journey is different. Everyone's. And someone who has incredible amount of success right now, that your turn could be next. I always tell actors, I'm like, you should always be happy for your friends who get jobs. Don't worry. We're not taking a job from you. That's not your job. That's their job. You'll get your job. And he was talking about artists, how when you do your art, and you do it the way that you want to do it and not be so influenced by what you think they want to see. And he was talking about musicians, but I was, I was thinking of you today in our talk and it's so true with acting. There's so many actors who are trying to like do it in such a way or whatever, if they're auditioning, for instance, maybe this is the way they want to see it as opposed to just doing it from what, you know, from here. It's the number one mistake that people make when they're auditioning for series regular roles is that you need to bring as much of yourself to that role as possible because hopefully you'll be playing it for a long time and the writers are going to need to get inspiration. If they get inspiration from you to bring into the character, great. I'm not saying you're not acting. I'm just saying you need to bring that part of you into it. And I think actors get caught up in what is they want to see exactly. So in today's world, how does an actor, you know, catch you off guard to make you go like, hey, you know what? I'm actually going to look into this person and maybe even call, you know, like meet with them. Like, what is it about them that makes you do that? You know, people ask this all the time. And I, you know, I've said this before and it's kind of lame, but it's like shoe shopping. If you're out shopping for shoes, you're probably already wearing shoes. You don't really need shoes. But then you see a pair of shoes you just have to have. <laughs> and then you have to have them. I always ask myself, am I obsessed with this person? Do I think I can do something for them? Can I be additive? And lastly, do I think they're going to make money? And I'm not, I'm not one of those people that's like, you got six months to make me money or moving on. It's not that at all. It's, it's about, are we making progress? Like, are we getting, you know, are we getting better and better feedback? Like, that's the most important thing. Well, the money will come when it comes. But it's hard to say. I mean, I, I you know... So how has the pandemic then affected you and, you know, in, in your job? Like, has it affected it? Well, I'll be honest. I was one of those people that thought, oh, we're going to go home for two weeks and we'll be back. And then that is not what happened. I am, a, as you mentioned, I'm an incredibly social person. 
but I could work from home and my husband's a chef, so he couldn't. So we made an agreement that I would work from home and he would go to work and we'd sort of mitigate our chances of getting it. Well, within a week, I had named all of our kitchen knives. I had befriended a squirrel in the backyard (laughs) and then started an Instagram that was in the New York Times. For the Trader Joe's, right? Yeah, my Trader Joe's line, UWF. Please follow. We still post. And so, so we want to hear this story. How did that? What happened to to make it to Trader Joe's? So, Trader Joe's was still open, but they they put the line. You know, the line is normally inside, all winding around, but they didn't want people in the store, so they're only letting like a handful of people in the store at a time. So the line went past my brownstone, and I was sleep my window open, and these people were just at eight o'clock in the morning on the phone talking. First of all, good for you. You have a friend that will take your call at eight o'clock in the morning. Good for you. (laughs) But this one girl one morning was screaming about how she was getting berries to make epic smoothies later into the phone. And I opened the window and I went, shut the fuck up. (laughs) And my husband sat up and he goes, no, we don't do that. He goes, find a better way. So the next day I hung a sign in the window that said, shut up, Stacey. No one cares that you're getting epic berries, smoothies for your epic, you know, you get it. A client of mine from LA, I posted on my Instagram, a client from LA said, you should keep doing them, but find someone else to write them because your penmanship is terrible. <laughs> so I, I texted my downstairs neighbors who we'd all become really close during COVID because it was like, I'm going to the store. Who needs what? Like we were taking turns, like leaving the building. Cause you know, at the time we were, we were still washing our fruits and we didn't know what was going on. And so I, Texted her and she's like, oh, I'll do this. I'll write it for you because your penmanship is terrible. And we got a dry erase board and then we started listening and writing stuff down. And then her husband is a record producer, but he is also an artist. So he started doing drawings on the sign. And we were literally working on them every night together and then hanging them out the window and like changing them every day. And then the New York Times called and said they wanted to interview us. We were like, okay. And they did. And then... New York One called and interviewed us, and ABC News called, and it was like a whole thing. And then we had like over 20,000 followers. But then the line sort of disappeared because they started like letting them back inside. And then we kind of ran out of things to say. So then we sort of had to start making them up. I got bored with just, just writing them. So I started having actor friends come in and do like readings of them. <laughs> I mean, we had. We had so many fun people, like Shoshana Bean did it, Jackie Burns, D. Rossi. We had a ton of like cool chicks. Carrie Preston did it. And we were just having the best time doing it. And it was, you know, that's how I got through COVID mostly. And a lot of people messaged us saying like, we look forward to this every day as we're stuck in our home. But the other thing was the actors were just like, what's happening? And in the beginning, we truly had no idea. Like we just didn't know how it was going to work. And then as things started to progress, the production started picking up again. And, you know, now the question is actors are like, when am I going back into a room with a casting director? And some people are doing that now, but not everyone. And, and I would say mostly not everyone. Right. So like, we're getting closer and closer, but then like we had monkeypox. And then my office was nervous about coming back in because of monkeypox. But it was a very strange time, COVID. I don't know, it hit us all pretty hard. So when you'd have a client go into a casting director's room, you as a manager, knowing that that client was not only auditioning, but the casting director also got a sense of who they were as the personality. Do you feel like now where so much of casting is turned into not that, you know, from their computers, that the decisions are a little differently? Absolutely. And also there, 
I think that actors, certain actors really thrive in the room. When they come in, they're charming. Casting directors like see that, they get to know them a little bit. Then they get to work with them a little bit. So if there's something that they're like, hey, let's do that one more time, but can you change this? So actors are missing out on that right now a lot. I mean, we're still getting a lot of like, we watch their tape, here are our notes, can they retape? So it's not like they're not watching, they are. But there is something of being in the room with someone and getting their energy and even feeling what they're responding to. Like, But I have noticed a shift in like certain clients are booking more off tape and the clients maybe that booked more in the room are struggling more. So I, you know, I really do hope that we get to back to a place where actors can go back in a room. And I think most cast directors want to do that. Why do you think that is? Why do you think most casting directors prefer to be in the room when you would think? I think, you know, it's, I have a lot of friends that are cast directors. I've sat with them when they're watching tapes over and over and over and over again. It's just not the same thing as the actor coming in the room and you getting the vibe with them. A lot of cast directors like to read with the actor, sort of see how that feels. Like there's just, you. it's the same thing as meeting a person in person is totally different than meeting them over a virtual setting. And then a lot of people are doing like, like more virtual, like Zooms with producers and directors in a Zoom. So at least you're getting some initial feedback. But it's so hard for the actor to like trying to look at the reader and like, but the reader's on Zoom and it, it's just so confusing. So I just hope we can go back to the old way. And I, I know not everyone's a fan of that, but I hope we do. So how about you for your own personal, like when you, you know, have a potential client and you want to meet with them and, you know, last two years, were you able to gauge them the same way on Zoom or you met outside uh, at, at Central Park? You know, like there's one client I signed, I, I, I didn't meet him in person for a while. I, I've been working for him for a while, but I've, I've had other like meetings over Zoom that like, it's just so hard to tell. And I also can't like, I'm wondering like, what do they think of me? Like, this is like a weird you know, I don't know where to look. Do I look at the camera? Do I look at the people I'm talking to? It's just, so Zooming has not been good for me. I mean, I will say the only good thing about Zoom was, was during COVID, like we Zoomed with everyone. Like we did a whole Thanksgiving over Zoom with my whole family when my husband cooked and like we ate all the food that they couldn't eat. Like, but still. <laughs> I mean, four years ago, you never heard of Zoom. Right, right. No, Exactly. Well, and also, Kyle, you know, four years ago, let's just say you had a client in a like a studio feature. Most people would see that film at a movie theater. Right. Yes. And now most people are seeing that film on HBO or another source. Yeah. Or if it's in the theater, it's there for two weeks and then it's on your TV. So I, I was one of those people that was like deathly afraid to go into a movie theater. And like even into like probably was shut down, but like I was... The day like that we sort of left the office was the day of the sixth opening. I was going and then they canceled it the last minute. And I was like, oh, thank God, because I was like freaked out. I didn't want to miss it. But now like I'm going to see Parade tonight. Uh, you know, like I'm not nervous to go into the theater. I've got all my shots and thingies. So we got to start living our lives again. Yeah. And I will say the the, the blessing of, you know, was we, we were able to get you and Allison, you know, doing a Zoom together side by side. You know, we had the best time doing that together. Like, cause she comes, she comes to my house. I, we have a guest bedroom. We do it in there. And while we're in there, Ash makes us dinner. And then he brings us little snacks while we're in, like, we're, it, it's just the perfect setup. As they're teaching. And this is Allison Estrin for those of us listening. So <laughs> yeah, we have the best time together. 
I'm always jealous. I always say like I should be invited to to have some of that food. He's a foodie. <laughs> since I'm since I'm setting up the class and doing everything. <laughs> I will invite you. <laughs> Great. Hey folks, Brian here. Mark and I often cringe when people call one-on-one -on -one next level a workshop studio because we are so much more than that. You and I both know that not all workshop studios are the same. And I can tell you with complete confidence that no other studio offers the same level of care or programming that we do. And we do so with pride. Here's just a few examples. I'm Emily. And before one-on-one -on -one next level, I was in a super dark place in my career. I tried a lot of things to find representation, but nothing seemed to work and I felt invisible. Then almost as a Hail Mary, I signed up for a manager session. It was incredible, but it was also the thing to land me a manager. Since then, I booked a national commercial. I've gone on to create a thriving voiceover career and signed with an agent all through these classes and programs. One-on-one -on -one Next Level has been the single most important thing that's influenced my acting career and life in so many ways. I'm Neil. In the last year, I booked two co-stars and one top-of-show guest star on major TV series. I also shot my first lead in a feature film. In fact, I've hit 20 big milestones thanks to the connections that I've made in classes at One-on-One -on -one Next Level. The key has been getting in front of casting directors. And that's why I love One-on-One -on -one Next Level. If you're not a member yet, what are you waiting for? Every actor deserves face time with the people in the business who can move your career forward. And One-on-One -on -one Next Level can help you do that. Did you know One-on-One -on -one Next Level produces over 335 events and classes each month? Whether you join us in person or attend on Zoom, you can meet with A-list casting directors, filmmakers, TV showrunners, and executive producers, as well as agents and managers when you become a member. These days, it's harder and harder to get real face time with industry pros, but One-on-One -on -one Next Level makes it possible. To become a member, visit www.1on1nextlevel.com and click join. We can't wait to hear your success story. I know Mark was really curious to see if one of uh, one of your famous clients was signed from one on one. Well, Alexi, did you did you see Alexi Gilmore one on one or no? No, Alexi and I went to college together, but it's Jillian Alexi that you're thinking of. That's it. She was in my very first class with Henry Boxel Bergstein, and we had Henry and I had made a decision to explain to the class that this is not a class to like get cast by Henry, and it's not a class to get signed by me. It's a class to like help you figure out where you need to go. So we had both decided that like I wasn't going to try to sign anybody. And then Jillian started acting and I was like, okay, I changed my mind. I'm, I'm signing her. You needed those shoes. And then she booked a series like, I don't know, like six months. She was on the final season of Damages like right away. Wow. Is she with you today? We still work together, but she, during COVID, she moved back to Australia. Wow. So yeah, they, she, just because... In the very beginning, it was so hard, and like she had an opportunity to get back in, which was where her whole family is, and they had two babies, and they were like, Australia's safer, so they went there. And, you know, so she's been hanging out there, working there. Very nice. But yes, I did discover her at one-on-one. -on -one. Well, Mark, Mark was like, there, there, there's someone that he discovered. So, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, this is, this is a good one for you, Kyle. You know, listen, you, you know, I, I think it's been four or five years ago since a certain casting person that owned their own, let's just say, networking studio, you know, like uh, was putting it out there. Where, where, where then, then it became like this, like a uh, cause of the, the word pay to play and uh, the negative connotations and burn them all down. By you being a teacher and, and doing it with Henry even, can you see the value? Because, you know, the first thing people go is, why, why should they take, take a class with like a, a casting director and a manager when, 
when, you know, they've, they've gone to like Carnegie Mellon or they study with so-and-so. And I always have said that there is value there with when someone's in the industry, hearing their point of view and also working with material that is like today's real world material. What, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I think we try to do a really a, a good job of balancing auditioning and audition technique with business. Thing is, a lot of these schools, they don't teach you the business side of it. They don't, they don't tell you when is a good time to call your agent. They don't tell you how many times should I call my agent before I panic? How often should my agent call me back? Is my manager doing a good job? I've only had three auditions in two years. Those are the things that like we sort of both weigh in on. And Allison told me something I did not know. She said, when you're doing like a tape at home, you have to start on camera. Like you can't walk into the camera. But like I have to see you because they, if they see a blank screen, they think something went wrong and they might just go to the next one. Not necessarily casting, oh, wow. but producers. And I was like, really? And then I was talking to another friend of mine and she was like, oh yeah, totally. I, they have to start on camera. I'd never heard that. And as for our class, I was saying that like, one of the things is, that's great is that Alice and I don't agree on everything. So you get to hear two different viewpoints on something. You know, there'll be a tape that I'll totally respond to and Alice will be like, no. Or there'll be one that she's like, that was amazing. And I'll say, I didn't get it. So you're getting two different opinions. You know, one of the things that like, I don't think they teach a lot of the schools is like the business of acting. We talk about SAG dues and, you know, and talk about, you know, being a must join and how much it costs and all those things. And then we talk about team building. Like, so if you need to add another agent or if you, it's time to add an attorney or when those times are right. So we try to run the gamut of everything that we can teach you in, in a short amount of time. And it's not just audition technique. It's a lot of it is about the business and how, how to function within the business other than just auditioning. And then for an actor that says, I have an agent. Why in the world? I don't need a manager. Why, why, why does an actor need a manager? I've been asked this many, many times over my 20 plus years in this business. And I cannot tell you how many agents I heard tell actors, you don't need a manager. You have nothing to manage. A lot of those agents are now, guess what? Managers. The manager is looking out for the longevity of your career. The agent hopefully is doing the exact same thing. But the agents at an agency where like money has to be coming in at a certain time. So they're looking at numbers in a different way than, than we are. Also, you know, I had a client with an agency. He had a really big recurring role in the show. He was getting paid a lot of money. But he got this really amazing play. He was like, I want to do it. And the agency was like, okay, but you're going to lose this amount of money. And he was like, I'm fine with it. I want to do the play. And I was totally supportive. I was like, yeah, do the play. Play is awesome. And of course, somebody came to see the play and he got a huge movie out of it. So I think sometimes we're willing to sort of look, look outside the box. And also, we have far fewer clients. You know, when a client calls me and says, I want to write a book or I... I want to write this pilot. What can we do with it? Or I have this idea. Do you know a writer you can put me in touch with to like do this thing? We have time to do that. That's one of the reasons why I like being a manager is we get to do all sorts of different things. You know, we do get to produce if we want. And agencies, there's like tons of meetings and stuff. And sometimes I feel like sometimes they're hindered by the fact that they have so many meetings. Like we only have two meetings a week. It's totally different. Why do they have so many meetings? Like, what is it? To discuss the numbers, to discuss who they're dropping. Well, there's like, you know, there's your standard grid meeting. Then there's your, they have signing meetings where like they talk about who they're going to sign. They have drop meetings where they talk about who needs to be dropped. 
They have like synergy meetings where it's like, how can we be doing more to cross this? Like, and then there's a lot of the bigger companies that have even more synergy that they try to work with, like, you know, the endorsement department, like meeting with it, like knowing there's just, there's tons of people. Whereas here there's just, you know, there's only five of us in New York and like 20 of us in, in LA, you know, we share it. We do our staff meeting every week with everybody. And then we do our each we do a talent grid meeting one day and then the literate the next day. But it's not like I'm being dragged into a million meetings with potential clients because they want to put a bunch of people in a room. It's not like that. So like, I, I feel like we have more time on our hands and we don't have a hundred clients on our list. The theme of the podcast is where there's a will, there's a way, because, you know, it's really a celebration of one-on-one next level, you know, being around for 30 years and it hasn't always been easy. And, you know, we've had to take many risks at times and kind of push through. So we always like to ask our guests, like in your career, in your professional life, or maybe in your personal life, can you name like a kind of a risk that you took that helped you persevere against, against the odds and really paid off at the end. But while you were doing it, it didn't, it didn't seem seemed idiotic. Like you were going to get anywhere. I mean, yeah, I used to be a cruise director. I was making a lot of money and sailing around the world. And which, which cruise, cruise line? I worked for Holland America line. Okay. And I did mostly the Baltic and the Mediterranean. And, you know, I had a staff of like 50 something people and I was 25 years old and making a ton of money. Why? But I wanted to work in representation and I just quit. Whoa. I I had an apartment in New York because that's where I lived. Came back to my apartment and I started going on Playbill looking for jobs. I'll be honest, the first job I got was probably one of the worst I'd ever had in my life. And I was being paid like in cash under the table and I was working out of this woman's apartment where she was smoking and it was, it was truly, truly terrible. But at the same time, I knew this is what I wanted to do. And I, I was determined to, you know, figure out how to do it. Sadly, the woman was really unwell, so I had to do a lot of the work myself. But it was like I was thrown into the deep end. I had a client that booked this huge recurring role on Third Watch, and the woman was in the hospital, so I had to do it myself. And I'd never done a deal before in my life. And luckily, Nadia Lubba was working with Kim and Beth on it, and Nadia and I had become friends. And she just said, okay, ask me for this. And I said, okay, can I have this? And she said, no, you can have this. So she walked me through the whole deal and I was like, this is great. Like there are awesome people in this community who want to support each other. So I knew that like at that point that this was what was for me. And I've just been really lucky that way. Like people have always stepped up to help me. Wow. It's great. That's excellent. Yeah. So it's so inspiring too. And it kind of ties back to what you said initially about your advice for actors who are type A and have a plan. And sometimes it's just, you got to yeah. dive in and be pre- be prepared to, you know, quit a, an amazing job and go on Playbill. Yeah. And I, you know, sometimes actors will like, oh, I might have to quit my job if I get this job. I'm like, well, you didn't come to New York to become a bartender. You came to New York to become an actor. So you have to take those opportunities. You'll get another bartending job. And to close this out, Kyle, you said earlier, you feel very lucky, but you also have made your luck happen. Maybe. I, I don't want to, I don't want to say that, but I, I will say I am lucky and I've had amazing support. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done it yet, grab the Backstage Pass. Don't treat this podcast as mere background entertainment. The Backstage Pass offers exclusive resources and behind the scenes footage that empower you to make a real impact on your career. Thank you.